Welcome to Following the Leftovers, the officially unofficial podcast for The Leftovers on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 5, entitled No Room at the Inn. It's a Matt-centric episode here. Matt and Mary, all the way. What'd you think of it? Man, it is an incredible episode. Uh, yeah. One of the high points of last season was the Matt-centric episode, Two Boats yep. and a Helicopter. And I was wary returning because I'm like, how much juice does this guy's story have left? It's and got all the juice. Even granting, like, okay, I'm kind of interested in seeing if his wife wakes up, all that kind of stuff. Without even really dealing with that, so many interesting philosophical questions. Sure. Like, did yeah. Matt rape his wife? Absolutely. It's, How can, can he admit that to himself? Like, what what's going on in his head? And what, yeah, like, it's... I mean, you can spend a lot of time thinking about just that one issue. What does that mean? And how do you feel about it? And what does that say about Matt? And yeah, it's it's incredible and gripping. And the I, I teared up at least twice during this episode. Um, and sure, good stuff. I got, I got on the forums and I was like, you know what? Just popped in to say. Leftovers is absolutely crushing every other show on TV. It really right is. Now. Like it really even is. Fargo, like. Fargo's good, but holy shit, this show. Yeah, I mean, so you're saying Fargo, so so the leftovers won the week. You're saying it easily, so, easily. Well, although I haven't seen, I haven't seen this week's Fargo, but it's judging hard. on what I've seen before, I can't imagine that they beat this. It's it's hard to believe that it can. Um, and I so, and that's not saying that Fargo's a terrible show, but like, no, I kind of think that unless. The leftovers has a breathtaking week like they did last week, where it's like, okay, I, I'm I'm ready to set up for the next round. That it's going to win every single one because it's just dealing with ammunition that Fargo doesn't have, and it's it's just knocking it out of the park every time. Yeah, the level of uh, it's not just that it, the subject it's dealing with; it's the execution too. Yeah, it's such a joy to see a show that conceptually. Uh, from a nuts and bolts writing perspective, and then on an execution level, is just such yeah. on a high, high plane. And it still continues to be bewildering that its charms are inaccessible to so many people because last week's episode only got a half a million people to watch it. Seriously? It had a 0.5 share, man. <sighs> it's, I think, is officially the lowest rated thing that we've ever ever watched and i will not stop covering this no no way no how not as long as it's good not as long as it's knocking out of the park like this i don't know i mean and i think they've come into season two even stronger than season one ever was yeah i mean the thing is is i I do feel like that there there's just and i don't know what it is about it with certain people whether it's it's the religious angle or whether it's just the whole it's just so intense and and you don't want to deal with that intensity or whether it's the you know, maddening way that you don't ever get answers to some of the questions that you really want to. But there's a lot of people that just legitimately don't like this show. Yeah. And, man, I just – it's such a great piece of art. It's I, so great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess I get why people might not want to watch it. But the, the performances alone are yeah. just top-notch. And then I mean, Christopher Eggleston is- in this is – Unbelievable. I do feel like I see a recurring theme that people that maybe don't are is not as in touch with their emotional state and maybe feel a little detached from the world gravitate towards this because it does have a way of like making you feel the way like maybe if you're a little bit more emotionally raw that it's just it is too much. 
Maybe so, because so, I would definitely put myself in that camp. Yeah, so it's like if I was a person that wore my heart on a sleeve and was so emotionally open that it might just be too, yeah, the, the, too much of a, 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 a shipwreck to go through every week. But <laughs> yeah, I, it it really hits the spot, and having it in the fall, I think, has really it's such a so much better than the middle of summer. Like ideally, this thing would come out in like the dead of January for me. I bet the reason this isn't doing so well is because watching or watching dead, walking dead is premiering opposite it, like directly. Well, that's the same time. I would love to see the combined HBO go numbers and all the airing and the on demand and and all that stuff. Um, Because it feels like it's more culturally relevant, relevant, relevant. Thank you. Finally got it right. Fourth times uh, the charm. It feels like it's more relevant than you would think from a show that's only gotten half a million people watching it. I would think so, yeah. But and honestly, I'm I'm not going to. I mean, if 15 million people are watching Walking Dead at the time, we also got Sunday Night Football. Sunday Night Football I mean, doesn't help. Yeah, Sunday nights All in the fall are, are pretty brutal because you've got you know 15 million people watching The Walking Dead, probably that many watching the football, and then you know, whatever else is going to go to eight and HBO's pay. It just sucks. Cause I know that on any other network, this would be gone. We wouldn't sure. have the show, you know, it, it, thanks to HBO for keeping this kind of stuff on the air. And that's why I'm not, a lot of people are really concerned about it being canceled. I, I doesn't seem like this is an especially expensive show to make, which is why like yeah. was the death knell for things like uh boardwalk empire and Deadwood uh-huh. and some of the other period pieces. It seems like it's a fairly inexpensive movie or show to make. Um, and also, I think HBO, as long as the critics keep raving about it and and the yeah the HBO diehards continue eating it up, I like I'm I would be shocked if this doesn't get another season if Lindelof and Perota want it. Yeah, I I can't wait to see what it does at the awards. Uh, I want to talk about a few things before we actually get right into the episode. Uh, number one, we had a lot of hot takes after our discussion of the Babylonian. Oh, okay. Uh, it ties into and the whole story with Daniel reading the handwriting on the wall. And I said, hey, we should kind of jokingly look for severed hands and stuff. People pointed out that this is already a complete analogy because yeah. Isaac was foretelling John's future using literally hand handprints that he put on the wall. Yeah, and read no, his portents from that. So, it was right there. Shame on us. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's it totally in. And also, if you're a uh, an excellent podcast fan, uh, and you, you you like excellent podcasts, is what I'm trying to say. Not you yourself as an excellent podcast fan, although that's probably true too. Mm-hmm. Let's 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 call a spade a spade here. Dan Carlin's latest hardcore history, which if you've never heard of it, um, as soon as you're done with our shitty podcast, you should go listen to it. Uh, but he talks a lot about Cyrus the Great. And which is the king who overthrew uh, the the Babylonian Empire, and he talks a lot about this uh, Daniel prophecy and and other prophecies and and some of the historical backgrounds behind it. I thought it was pretty interesting. It's kind huh. of just serendipitous that he is talking about this yeah. subject. The week, I mean, this is something he's been doing for like four months. Yeah, he releases a show it, it comes four out, times a year. Or you something. know, he's all meanie meanie tackle a parson on the <laughs> week after we talk about that very same thing. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He saw the handwriting on the wall. I stole a little bit of Dan Carlin's thunder. Can't you, you can't say that every week. Uh, but yeah, so that's if if you're interested in, in hearing more about that whole 
biblical historical time period and you also they, it's a lot about the spartans and the 300 and thermopylae fascinating uh period of history he does a really great job covering it and um, if you I, just can't get enough of senseless slaughtering of goats go watch the walking dead for this week sure <laughs> sure goats are having a rough rough go of it rough lately. week for goats yeah uh so let's talk about the episode shall we Sure. Uh, the show's making me a liar about this cold open stuff because we get another cold open of mm. Matt's daily routine set to Let Your Love Flow. Yeah. And it's incredibly touching. And then halfway through, we learn that he's kind of desperately trying to recreate the circumstances yeah. of her waking up. And I'm like, oh. They twist it to be a little bit dark at the end. But then it's still kind of touching because, like, okay, let's say that he is doing this slavishly to try to recreate her waking up. He's trying to recreate just an average day in his life. He takes this care of his wife day in and day out. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, when he's like, you know, I know you were, it was real. We spoke, we laughed, we, and he kind of trails off. And I'm like, is he having sex with her? And I started thinking like, (laughs) but she can't give consent, but... But if she was actually awake that night, she could have. Yeah, like what was, like if you... Try sleepy time sex with your your mate or someone that you're in a committed relationship. I don't necessarily think that that's marital rape. It depends on the circumstances of like what what is your kind of standing. What, how is your sex life going, and what is the state of your relationship? And so that's the thing. And, and right? also like, the intent is if you're having sex with someone, you start like you know you know, sexy times when someone's still asleep, you're expecting them to wake up soon after and then to not, like, say, get the fuck off me, like, to, to reciprocate. Sure. That so, Matt's wife can't. Th- there are a couple of interesting things. So I look at this as a little bit more black and white. Like, okay, you have to say, what is the status of their relationship as she's going into this? We don't know, right? No. So we can't say, like, oh, this is what she would have wanted. Even sure. if we could... You can't say that going forward. You, for you certain. can't say that's what she wants right now in a vegetative exactly. state, or if there's some vestige of her still in there. Like maybe it's kind of uh, de- degrading or dehumanizing, or I, yeah, no, it's something that is. I so mean, I'm coming firmly down on the side of if she didn't in fact wake up that night. Yes, and we can't say that 100. percent Yes, uh, then this was most certainly rape. Yes. And I think that's the part that's eating at Matt, right? He's questioning. So so by the end of this episode, I don't think he's questioning anymore. He's firm in his belief. She woke up. That is the only answer I will accept. Uh, but there's part of him during this entire run that is eating at him saying, did, did this actually happen? Did she wake up? And if not, what kind of monster am I? Yeah. And it, it's a really interesting question. I mean, because now there's the physical proof of his acts, but there's nothing physically proving that she woke up, right? Yeah, that's the that's the rub here. Yeah, and also the fact that like medically, it's so unlikely that this would be a single immaculate conception thing. Which, by the way, this woman's name is Mary. Let's not skip. You got to point out that her name's Mary, and now you've got this thing where she's 40 years old. She's in a persistent vegetative state. Uh huh. Matt has told us that they couldn't have kids and it was like deemed medically impossible. So there's also a dark interpretation that maybe this is like, you know, on, on, so you got the one, the one scale of, 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 um, cause this actually spoke, this, 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 the sparked a lot of discussion, 
like an hours of discussion between Cecily and I. It's like if we were in a participant's <laughs> vegetative state, you were vegetative. how would you feel about like you know and, and seeking comfort and the connection that you're you know so much of the relationship is gone now and you're still caring for us, but there's this one thing you can do yeah. to feel close. Like what would that be okay? Like you know I don't think that's going in a lot of people's living wills, but anyway. Uh, on the one hand, you got that where it's like, okay, we even though you can't give consent, we've talked about it in theory. On the other hand, you've got like the Kill Bill situation, where you know, like Matt is just using this woman kind of like heartlessly for like maybe that. What I'm trying to get at is that maybe this wasn't a one-time indiscretion. Yes, maybe he's just doing this a lot more than we would be comfortable with maybe to a and doesn't care to acknowledge it and doesn't care to acknowledge it and it's not a one-time miracle it's just a logical consequence of just doing it again and again and again and what is that and how this, does that make you feel about matt and this emotional and mental toll that it has taken on him has caused him to either not not acknowledge that or not care one of the two like maybe he doesn't even realize that he's been doing this every night yeah, for the past X amount of years, while she's been in this coma, I, I, I don't, I how long lay, has it been? I don't even remember. Like a year? No, uh, since the departure, it's like two and a half years. Two and a half years, I think. Mm-hmm. But okay. I, I maybe I'm gonna say that because that's the zombie apocalypse. I think so. I think it's been less time than that. Um, but that's the other part of it is he's been caring for her this whole time. Does he feel entitled to do this? Like, right. That's pretty dark. Yes. Uh, in its own way. Yes. But it could also be seen as loving by some people, right? Like. Where yeah. do you where do you come down on this? I think you're I know, asking man. yourself those questions, and that's what it's doing beautifully. This show, yeah, it's like you think I. It's frustrating because I think of the times in the last year or two that rape has been a plot line in a show, and kind of how <laughs> gross and ham fisted and uh-huh. tropey and beside the point it all is. And then you look at something that's genuinely compelling, and you like really go back and forth, and like, yes, you're right clearly this is if if unless there's a miraculous awakening this is legally and probably meth, morally and ethically marital rape mm-hmm. but there's so many things you don't know and and then i'm gonna put my biases on the table i really like matt yeah, like yeah, yeah. I, i've seen from feedback that there's some people that just hate matt and they don't like him okay. and they think he's a bully but i see a man and I, I've seen this in like real life, and I've heard stories told about it, and I've seen it in drama. This the the power of con, I'm not gonna say faith of conviction, hmm. okay. like the courage and power you can get from being unwavering in your belief about the world and how it should be, and 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 how that power can be used for for good and evil. Mm-hmm. But Matt seems like a very powerful person uh, and a guy who. Yeah. You know, he's the guy who got bricked in the face for trying to help out the guilty remnant, and he gets wrenched in the face for trying to help out a stranger. He's the guy. He's yeah. Job. He is, and it's it's less than subtle here. Yeah, right. I mean, from from the idea of Mary speaking once, just as Job's wife spoke once and never again. Now she's named, so but it's, it's not the exact. But it's subtle and it's unsubtle in a satisfying like the way yeah. the way the two pieces of Lego click together <laughs> in a way that like a Mega Bloks uh-huh. doesn't. Like there's just something satisfying and like yes, these two pieces are meant to go together. Oh, they're going to fit together so nice. Yeah, in my opinion. I That's can how see Matt how, feels about him and his wife. <laughs> I can see how a lot of other people would be. This is trite and yeah, yeah. You can't say it's predictable though. How the fuck can you say the show's predictable? 
You know, I was not expecting the pregnancy angle. Oh, God, no. At all. Uh, I don't know. It just it hadn't come up. Now, there is another question here along this pregnancy. Is it possible that she has these elevated HCG levels for some other reason? Is the doctor maybe misinterpreting this and she's not, in fact, pregnant? Maybe there's something that uh, Miracle did so. to her that like, I, pre- she modern, did wake up and that's a residual Modern pregnancy thing. tests are pre- – I mean, I can't rule that out because we have the supernatural that you have to kind of always grapple with. But I will say the modern pregnancy tests are pretty damn good. If a hospital administered well, they know, them. Yeah, yeah. What, what I'm saying is like maybe she has the symptoms of being pregnant. These these Because all he quotes is elevated HCG levels, right? Is it is it possible that there's some other that what condition? They that's how that's that defines pregnancy. Well, that's what I mean. That's how they they interpret that as she's pregnant. It's like if your white blood cell count is high, you have an infection. There's not really another explanation for it. Sure, but you know, with this supernatural element, yes, you're you right. Could say maybe those yep. HCG levels are in, indicative sure. of her having woken up that one night, and this is kind of a residual that's left in her system. I don't know. I don't know. So one other thing I found interesting in my research is there's this brief scene when Matt's fucking around with his laptop uh, that there's a image, like a, a, a big statue of Jesus on a hill, uh-huh. which I initially thought was that big Jesus and the Christ our Savior that's on – that you always see in every shot of Rio de Janeiro, right? Yeah, yeah. But I looked into it, and it's actually a statue on top of Mount Toro, which is the tallest – point of menorca which is a spanish island in the mediterranean hmm. there is a legend surrounding this that i don't know if it's going to plan out pay out but with my history of the leftovers i want to get it out there into the show's community conscious to see if it be- turns into something uh so the legend goes as thus uh, one night an elderly father and by father they're talking about a monk okay in terms of a monk because there's this uh, monastery that's nearby uh, saw a pillar of light shining from the sky from the top of this hill, this Mount Toro. Uh, the strange phenomenon was repeated on successive nights, believing it was a supernatural event. The father decided to tell the rest of the convent. The next night, the friars all set off in procession to the summit of Mount Toro. However, the climb became more painful and difficult, and no one knew the best way to reach the top. Suddenly, a raging bull appears and blocks the way. Robert De Niro. <laughs> but the fr- <laughs> you looking at me? You must be looking at me because there's no other bull on this mount. Uh, but the friars were carrying crucifixes to guide them, which tamed the bull and led them up the hill through the dense undergrowth. Suddenly, they found themselves confronted with huge rocks, which hindered their progress. To their amazement and wonder, the bull started to push aside the rocks with its horns, leaving the way clear again. Since then, this place is known as the Bow Pass, or Passage of the Bull. Upon reaching the summit, the incredible animal bowed to the entrance of a cave where they found the image of a Madonna and a baby Jesus in her arms. Here's uh, the next, just a little bit more. The friars moved the virgin to the convent, but the next day the image had disappeared and they found it once again in the cave in the hilltop. Faced with this miraculous event, the monks realized that it was the will of the lady to live in the cave on Mount Toro, so they built a chapel on the spot to worship, and later they built a monastery to where they moved the uh, Mercedian Order or Order of Mercy. And then they built a statue and all that stuff. Hmm. Uh, so bulls. Where are, are you going with this? I'm not I don't sure. I don't have I, I'm not going anywhere, man. Okay. I'm just putting it out there that there's this metaphysical bull. That was originally hindering these monks' progress towards discovering some truth. 
that was tamed by a crucifix and later helped them to eliminate that they essentially became an ally. And then you had this, you know, vir- the Virgin Mary with her child that was revealed. Yeah, I'm trying and then to. They t- that this was an idol that they, they tried to carry off, but then it, it resisted and had to say in this spot. Like, there's so okay. okay if you're asking, put me on the spot. I'm saying there's a little bit of already baked in here about this Mary who's got this miraculous, quote unquote, you know, not virgin, but not not marital rape pregnancy mm-hmm. that has they they tried to take her outside of the sanctuary that she belonged in, and then she miraculously reappeared through goat intervention and now she's there and I, I you know i don't know and matt's a friar and now he's built in some i and yeah there's I, i'm there's i'm getting lost in a muddle of biblical references here because clearly there's also a little bit of jesus in matt sure I mean, the idea of him going up on what what is essentially a cross at the end of this episode and saving the guy from his fate yeah he's like a joe bezos <laughs> yeah yeah so, like, there's so much wrapped up in here, I'm having trouble parsing it all out into And, and I think that, like, this might be one of the things where uh, it will become more obvious later on what this is supposed to mean, if it means anything. Now, yeah, yeah. I will say that the leftovers bat a much higher percentage for things that are just throw-off things on screen becoming relevant later on yeah. in a way that, like, True Detective doesn't. True Detective likes to layer this stuff on, and then it just doesn't pay off its texture. This stuff all seems like it's clues... That'll eventually pay off to some kind of satisfying conclusion. And I'm I'm certain they knew what they were putting on his screen. Sure. When they put it there. Sure. Why else have him minimize the window and see that? Yes. Uh, so then, and I'm going to take this more or less chronological order since it's a single focus of a character. Um, we have a scene where Matt's wife has to go out to an appointment, but the visitor's... Uh, influx of visitors coming over to the little narrow ass bridge leading in the garden is blocked so they have to wait and there's runners people that are trying to the to, to run the blockade and they mostly get tackled one woman makes it out but it's i, I checked and, and and made sure she's actually the woman that later on asks if mary is faking it so there was some speculation huh. about maybe this woman is going to escape and throw off the six the the six the nine hundred the 9,621 yeah, number. Yeah. But she's that's conserved because she's, you know, in jail at the visitor center. All right. Uh, anything you want to say about that? No, I don't think so. Uh, why does Matt, so at the appointment, why does Matt not suggest that anything in her behavior has changed? I don't think he wants to appear crazy to these people. So he knows that, like, even though he's about to out it, out it to the religious throng, he doesn't want to sit this... He doesn't want to talk about this with the nurses in Austin. Yeah, I think he realizes the precarious situation he's in. Yeah. Um, he also – so this is after they tell him that she's pregnant, right? I think he doesn't want to come across – No, this across... is before. This is oh, before. It is. He's like, is yeah, there anything yeah, yeah. you want to tell us? Because he should – So later on he doesn't tell that story because I think he doesn't want to seem like he's making excuses for his – obviously wrong behavior like well, these people he's... see it as one way him espousing the story of her miraculously waking up is not going to change their mind mm-hmm. and he doesn't he do, he knows that and he doesn't want to come across he his... kind of does though when the administrator confronts him about it he's like no she was awake but before we get to there i want to talk about like a brilliant conceit in this episode because this episode doesn't really work in the era of cell phones 
because when at any point, at any point, Matt yeah. can just pick up a cell phone and solve all these problems. And if his wife is a functioning adult, she would have a cell phone too, and you'd have a backup. But you know, everyone has either dropped a phone, a phone in a sink or a toilet, or knows someone has done that uh-huh. has done it. It's something that happens, and I think it's such a great little, you know, wrench to throw in Matt's little life plan here. Um, I say at least flush first, man. That thing's not going down the drain, and you can get rid of half of the. But on the other hand, urine, especially your own urine, is a sterile fluid. It's not. It's, it's sure, only. It's, it's purely it's a social construct. Yeah, but it's a pure. It's gross only because of social construct. Yes, yes, but and also I, I will say that once you've been a parent, you pretty much lose <laughs> vomit. Okay, I don't poop, know about that. And piss do no longer terrify you because you've been covered in all three at once. I've point. been covered in vomit, but not okay. There you go. I mean, probably at some point in my youth, covered in piss and poop as well, but <laughs> uh, not that I recollect. So the the hospital minister wants him to sign a waiver of liability because they kind of fucked up. Uh, they should yeah. have done a test, but they didn't because his wife can't consent to the procedure, which is our first clue that oh, there's a you know if if you weren't already thinking that uh, that there is a moral and ethical problem here because she can't give consent to anything exactly. And now she's pregnant. What the fuck? Yeah. And I just love the dissonance of this scene because Matt is playing this as if, you know, him and his wife are on the same page about being, oh, my God, I can't believe you're pregnant and we didn't think this could happen. And the administrator is all like, you raped your wife, dude, and you don't want to be answering questions from the police. So and we don't want it yeah. either. So sign this paper and you can kick the can down the road a couple. He also wants his copay back, <laughs> which yeah. I thought was funny. I thought that was really funny, too. Yeah, yeah. Because that's also in Matt's kind of he's a little bit of a penny pincher. Yeah. Um, but also the administrator, I think, is like playing the odds and like, you know what? 90% of the time, probably more than 90% of the time, y- your wife is going to miscarry because she's in a coma and she's over 40. Yeah. So, you know, even without the metaphysical and spiritual stuff, that this is probably going to go nowhere and, and nobody will be any the wiser and everybody can they get away with their, their crimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, anything you want to say about that? No, I feel like we've talked about the conundrum that he's in. So then he stops to help out a guy who's broken down, and I had a bad feeling as soon as he pulls up and that dude had just a massive wrench in his hand. Yeah. No, like, I knew immediately this is yeah, bad. Yeah. And uh, even even before the guy I saw the guy, like car parked on the side of the road, don't stop, Matt. I know you're going to, but don't stop. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of fifty fifty and then I saw the wrench and I'm like, Nope. Yeah. And it's a father and son who for some reason have to get into jarred. Now I thought maybe that the boy was like autistic. Or there was something oh. not quite right about him, but later in the episode, like he seems like he's fine, as, or as fine as a, a, a son who's been and done all the things that yeah. have happened to him in this episode. Guy smashes Matt's wrist Ugh. to get the thing off, which I thought was pretty painful. And also, I don't know what this means because the rest of the episode they treat it like it's a sprain and not a. But I felt like his wrist got shattered. Yeah, I I thought it was his thumb. Like he smashed up his thumb so he could get the oh okay folded in farther to get the wristband off. Or something. is that going to be but, a problem? Like, is he going to get gangrene or some kind of shit and have to get his arm amputated or something? Because now he's now yeah he's up there he's on in that. stocks. If there's any you know he's he's not going to have any medical attention. He's in exposure. Maybe a lot maybe. of sunshine in Texas. And and you got to wonder like who's the next person who's going to step up and free him. 
Right? That one dude looked like he'd been in stocks a long time. I know. Yeah. And also, like, how long is not long? Because the thing about those stocks is you can't – you're kind of bent over, and it's yeah. it's too high for you to kneel mm-hmm. and too short for you to stand up. Yeah. So you're kind of in I a mean, that's kind of the position. point. You're going to be uncomfortable. <laughs> And people were throwing darts. Yeah, people, people are, were throwing tomatoes and cheese. And yeah, being in the stocks is some bad deal. Like rocks, yeah. I'm sure people are throwing rocks because this seems like a lawless hellscape. This, this, uh, I don't know what you call this beggar colony that's outside of Jarden. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering if that's going to be an issue later on. Could uh, be. So Matt is sprawled out on the ground and his head's ringing, and we're we're told through several different storytelling mechanisms the the camera work, the audio work. Mary's awoke, but we have good reason to believe she's not really, and she says, you have to get us back in. He won't last out here. The least of which is the gushing wound on his head. Sure. And He's yeah. had head trauma. The this, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, whoa going on. That's what I'm on. saying. All those things are coming together to tell us yeah. this is probably not real, or at least we have good reason to believe it's not. Yes. Someone, uh, the guy stole his battery, so next thing you know, he's wheeling back to Jordan. We know that's at least five miles away. Yeah. Uh, he makes it back to the visitor's camp, and uh, a man in a top knot, who will later find out his name is Almer. Swedish. Uh, offers to help him get back in, and uh, Matt says, no, I don't, kind of piously, I don't need help. I live here. Uh, he's, he's, he starts quoting um, some dialogue from the Titus play, William Shakespeare, and I don't know. Have you seen the one where uh, Anthony Hopkins stars as Titus as a Julie Taymor no. production? Hmm. I know uh, nothing about this. Okay. Play. I don't know a lot. I've only seen that particular production of it, um, and I don't know what kind of themes. Uh, I do know that there is – I believe it's his – it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I believe it's his daughter that gets abducted and taken out to the wilderness and her hands cut off. Hmm. Um. And I wonder if there's like some parallels there with John's daughter situation, but okay. I don't know. And it, I, again, I feel like it all means something, but I don't really know what it is. Uh, and he's able to sweet talk his way back in the park with his intimate knowledge of the town and oddly specific. I'm surprised in his toilet. No, I, I, I bought it. I, I bought it. I'm just surprised the, the guard let him in. I didn't think he was getting back in because I had seen the previews and I was like, oh, well, I know he goes through this tunnel later on. Mm. And see, I. I thought once he was in, he would be in. Like, yeah, yeah, they yeah. can't fucking look this up with his ID. You don't have a record of who lives in this town? Come on. He's got a sanctuary bracelet. Certainly his name's in a computer somewhere. It does seem like that that's the one, if you really think about it, like the fact that this whole thing is comes down to wristbands. Like wristband is a convenience. This isn't like a fly-by-night thing where, yeah, you're going to go out to your car at a concert. You need to get back in. Dude, this is on a computer somewhere. Yeah. They've built a fucking theme park here. They've got computers. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I guess it's like the fact that maybe it has to be this way because if you, you can take your wristband off and give it to other people. So like, it's kind of like you're, you know, if you go to a ski lodge, if you lose your lift ticket, they don't give a shit. If you got a receipt and you got a credit card and they can look you up, it's like, well, how do we know you didn't give your lift ticket to someone else? And now there's two people skiing. I mean, it's because like, your name isn't in the system. Like that—that's the thing I don't understand. The wristband is nowhere near as secure. But that's the thing, and if like, they're picky about who comes in here, a wristband system is a terrible system. But if if they're really trying to control the numbers of people coming in at a time, a physical totem that you hold is really the only thing. 
because you're if what about your license with your picture on it? I'm saying like you, they. A park ranger can't just accost people on the street and be like, who the fuck are you? Why are you here? And show me your license. Like, I, the wristband is sure. both a convenience and I, I get it. I, I, I think I'm this playing is the devil's big advocate here. Yes, this, yes. This is the thing that I the didn't whole, real, Like, the entire time I was going, just give them your photo ID, man. The whole Miracle Park situation, I think. But I, I feel like that the part of, like, maybe that's a sanctuary pass is that that is something that the minister did that's kind of extra – maybe there is any paperwork that says this Jameson guy has maybe, this. Maybe Sanctuary is a got people thing. sponsoring, and there's enough ambiguity that it kind of sort of works. But I agree. I feel like that the biggest flaw in this whole season is the, the nature of the Miracle Parks system. Like, yeah, it just so. feels a little artificial, but the universe is so weird that I kind of will just roll <laughs> with the punch. Sure. Um, and the other thing we find out is that he's there on a religious exemption, right? That's what this. That's the reason why he has a different bracelet than. And we wondered about that. So we people. finally got an answer to that. Yeah. So he's at the visitor bureau and he's trying to explain like his situation. And of course, we know the reverend who sponsored him is out of town. Yeah. We also know that uh, Kevin and Nora can't help him because you have to be there at least six months before you can sponsor someone. And it's perfect because everybody has all of their contacts in their phone. Nobody knows a phone number anymore. I know, yeah. I couldn't tell you your phone number, man. I don't... <laughs> the last phone number I memorized was, like, my father's cell phone. I like, couldn't seven tell years you ago. I couldn't tell you my, my girlfriend's brother's... phone number. It's 341-something. Exactly. So, like, totally understandable yeah. that he would have no way to contact these people. The, man, this guy behind him, though, I wanted to drop kick this guy in his fucking on the other hand i've been that guy where i'm on a fucking budget and i've done my job and i planned for a certain amount of bullshit but now this guy is sucking all the oxygen and i got a wedding to go to man like yes he was an asshole how okay well that's kind of on you too for not showing up for the wedding a little bit early if you're sweating 15 seconds for but this what thing? if his plane was delayed and what if you know he showed up and there's like a two-hour sure. wait it's like he you can't plan for everything, and you That's certainly true. can't plan for some Episcopalian preacher who is stubbornly refusing to listen to the woman who's saying, I can't help you. Not in a time yeah, frame Yeah, I just feel wanting. like maybe it's a symptom of us cutting right into the middle of this. Yeah. And not having seen, like, the buildup. Maybe he's been there for 25 minutes. But I will say that the guy going after his wife was completely unnecessary. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I... Low blow. Yeah. Uh, and, and I still feel sympathy to Matt, but I'm also, like, devil's advocate. This would be an anno- super annoying situation. Yeah. It's annoying on both sides. Um, but, yeah. Uh, so... There's something interesting that happens here. Number one, I'm the whole time I'm thinking why he's wrestling this guy's like Matt's thumb or wrist is broken. Yeah. And he's rolling down a concrete ramp with this guy. Like Ouch. there's a lot of damage being done here. Uh but he is sitting in now into like a kind of a a waiting area. And one of the runners who uh, uh, talks to him and asks kind of like a knowing leer, is she pretending? Like, is this the scam that you're you're working on to try to get in here? Yeah. And he goes, no. And then this other guy who seems, I don't know why, but he seems kind of mystical. Okay. He, he gives, he gives like kind of um, a, a yogi vibe or someone who's, hmm. you know, and, and, and then he says something mystical. He says, your wife, I hear what your wife is saying, and she's saying that he'll die if you don't, if you don't get him inside here. 
A lot of people seem to be clairvoyant in this town. Well, I mean, it's one of those things where are I mean, I've yeah, talked to I a lot of crazy. I've talked be... to a lot of crazy people, and I always think they're crazy yeah. people. But in the leftovers universe, it's like, oh shit, maybe they've got. There's they, a reason. Maybe they got the shining or whatever. There's a reason I say seem to be, because I'm not. I don't know that they are. But now, now knowing how this episode worked out, yeah, is it possible that he's actually referring to the young boy at the end of the episode? Matt thinks hmm. he's talking about the unborn child within Mary, but sure. this guy and, and, and even Mary herself. What does he say exactly? He says, and this is a quote because I wrote it down, uh, he will die. She says if you don't get him back inside or, or her back inside, he will die. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's about the baby. All right. Well, fuck you then. <laughs> uh, also, in the same scene, there is a... Because there is no her in the other scenario. Yeah, he had to get Mary back inside. She found her bracelet and then Matt gave his to the boy. If he hadn't gotten Mary back inside there, that exchange wouldn't have happened. Hmm. Okay. So that... Then maybe John beats the shit, beats the boy to death because he's crazy. <laughs> or a, a wild pack of goats tears him limb for limb. <laughs> right. It's like, uh, it's finally our revenge. We've had enough getting eaten by zombies and torn apart by T-Rexes in cinema. We're now going to, to be the ones oppressing the humans. <laughs> um so there's another thing I wanted to talk about, which is there's a park ranger. He's reading a Jarden newspaper, and the front page story is Biblical Rains in Sydney. I didn't see that. Okay. It's a very brief thing, but yes, he's, he's, there's a guy propped up, and you're over his shoulder, and you can see it. And we know there's a lot of weird stuff going on in Australia, and this is another one. Hmm. Biblical Rains in Sydney. How much do you want to know what they're getting at? With Australia. I am the perfect amount of patient with the storyline. Okay. Like, I am not... I don't feel like it's dragging. I don't feel like I'm... I feel like I'm just content with the amount of information that's dribbling out about it. By the end of the season, do you really want to see a conclusion, uh, a concrete explanation of why there's so much stuff about Australia? So I'll say that I'll put it in the category of, like, the dog catcher from last season. I don't need to know everything about the dog catcher, but I need to know if he's fucking real or not. Okay. And that's at this. That's kind of what, at this, I remember that was the big thing that we talked about at this point of last season. And I felt like we got a satisfying answer to that particular question. So It might be good enough for me to just think, okay, guy up there, John C. Riley up there on his podium is super concerned about Australia. And he thinks there's a lot going on. And... That's all there is to Australia. Hmm. It might be okay for me to see that, but I want something that is is more than a hint I, about things I know what in you Australia. Said, I know what you said, and I, I kind of agree. Like, I don't need again, just like the dog catcher. I don't need to know everything, but I need yeah. to know. I need to know why something they're talking concrete. about Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so John comes in and dresses down the Rangers for zip tying Matt, which I'm like, okay. I, I thought John would be very much against the whole Matt situation, but I guess I'm wrong. And then John gets weird. Yeah. And yeah. he takes a little bit of, like, the audience position where he's like, hey, man, you're, you're crazy. Uh, you raped your wife. I want to hear you say that. Like, I understand why, and you're kind of sympathetic, and I'm not saying anyone's going to press criminal charges, mm. but the shit's fucked up and you need to come correct. Well, there's also the other side of that, which is John does not want to hear about fucking miracles in miracles. Yes. Yes. And so that 
may be the reason he wants a serious, real-world, no, no, logical no. explanation Certainly. for what's going on. Certainly. And for Matt to admit it. And, and, and I thought that they articulated, like, started, like, I need to know, I need to know what John's fucking problem is. Yes. But honestly, the fact that his wife is deaf and has not been healed, like uh-huh. he said, like, what, God likes your wife better than mine? Exactly. That's a great question that a lot of Christians don't have great answers to. Sure. Like, every sure. time you hear a miraculous saving If faith or healing, healing works... Why the fuck isn't everybody healed? That has faith. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like one thing is like, you know, if us atheists can't get our shit, shit together, but like there's people, good men and women of, of the cloth and of, of stout faith that honestly believe and pray every day and, you know. Well, you can't espouse that God is love and not have him heal everybody regardless of what they think of him or her. Whatever yeah, it's God a whole is. question about the, you know, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniloving. You can pick like two of those three. But, you but all of them all. don't work out, yeah. Which I think I don't understand why Christians have to tie themselves in knots to make God like. Why can't God just be more of a Norse God where he's got some limits? He's limitless from human perspective, but there's some things he just fucking can't do. I mean, the Bible sure. says God can't lie, so there, boom, he's got a limitation. What the hell? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but let's let's move on. All I, right. I don't want to get into theological debate. Sure, not this early in the podcast. Uh, what do you think about John? John finding out that Mary is pregnant felt like a violation to me. Why? Even though he said, well, it just fell out of her purse and the rangers oh, found yeah. it. I Do you believe him? You think he went digging more than, Kinda. oops, it just fell out. I think he was looking for a pretext to start this shit with Matt. Well, I think so. And especially because, with the scenes we've seen previously yes. where he's kind of suspicious of Matt already. Uh, you know, he's directly questioned, like, what do you mean? What were you going to say up there on that podium? Yeah. And I don't think he was totally satisfied with Matt's answer. So, sure. But I also felt Matt was perceptive because he's like, look, you're an asshole. And you were an asshole before your wife yeah. or before your daughter went missing. What has happened to you? Why are you so angry with this place? And it makes John snap and says, you know what? Fuck you. You don't have your – you can't have your wristbands. And he walks out on him. Yeah. He he uh, must have hit him pretty close to the mark to get her all, get him all riled up like that. Which makes me want to know even more. What the hell, John? What did happen this, to you? This what did hap- you do? This all happened while he was in prison. I guess and his whole town got spared, but he's and why, angry about why it. Why did he murder this guy? Like, or why did he try I, to, I murder, this to murder this guy? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm super curious about John's past now. Yeah, I want to talk a, a moment about this concept of Job as, and Satan, because, you know, Satan's like a lot of different things, depending on which part of the Bible, almost as if it's a collection of barely related stories that have been (laughs) compiled after the fact into one unified book. Almost like that. Yeah. But in Job, the devil uh, is actually, uh, one of his titles is the adversary. In fact, I think that's literally what Satan means in, in the Jewish language. Oh, um, but he's got this role as adversary, uh, uh, as as almost like a a universal prosecuting attorney, and he's going into God's court and he's saying, "Look at this! Look at this guy down here!" Yeah, you know, he you think he's faithful, he's not really, and it's my job as the prosecutor to make the state's case against him. Mm-hmm. Is there something to that with John that? John's not evil and he's not mean. He is put on this planet to test the faith of people like Matt. That he's the adversarial, he's a prosecuting attorney role in this series. 
Yeah, I mean, so we had the the email last week about uh, from the guy who was not really happy that the show continues to say the only correct view of this is to believe that something supernatural has gone on and to not question why or how it happened, right? Like that idea of let's just let's just take this all on faith. John seems to be the opposite of that. And he's he's kind of the defining he's defining the other side of that argument. Like I don't believe that there are miracles in miracle and I've not seen anything and he he goes too far, obviously he's burning people's houses down because of it, but he's kind of the other side of that argument. Hmm. Like show me the miracles. And it's hard to show him the miracles because a lot of this stuff is everyday Sure. non-miracle stuff that's happening, right? Cold readings and sure. some guy saying, why well, my wife woke up from a coma she's been in and we made sweet, passionate love. It wasn't rape, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. So like, and that goes back to the dance that the Leftovers is doing with the supernatural versus the physical realities of things. I just really like the concept of John being Satan in his adversary, adversary role. Yeah. As, as part of a neat little way to tie all this Job stuff together. Uh, but anyway, uh, Satan kicks Matt and Mary back out of Jarden, and they're having to go back across the bridge. And we're treated to some genuine weirdness as Matt desperately searched for the samurai bun guy who's going uh, tr- to help him get back into the park. Yeah. We got dudes that got, uh, you know, loved one style dummies. That they're dressed up with their wife and they're reading what's next. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got naked women with spike heels walking on guys' backs. We got men in business suits that that was are, the weirdest of all. Haven't yeah, they haven't the showered suits. or gotten dry cleaning in six months. Uh-huh. Uh huh. All their white shirts. Like are I get how this trees. could go full Burning Man, but business suits does not strike me as. I wonder if that's another type of cult. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, there's dudes in stocks on top of a taco truck. I mean, there's just genuinely weird stuff going on. And, you know, Matt sees the guy in the stocks and this girl says, do you want to free him? And he's like, of course I do. She's like, well, then take his place. Yeah, I thought so. Uh, you know, self-righteous person. Yeah. The naked cowboy really let himself go, uh, since the departure shows up and says, Hey, you need some help. And he conveniently knows where you can find Elmer in the trailer, the big screen, green stripe. Uh, Almer, as we find out, the Scandinavian dude is delighted. He's returned, but he can't get him and his wife into Jarden for anything less than a thousand bucks. And Matt's only got $400. Yeah. Matt asks God for help, turns his eyes upwards and finds this ragged old cross where we meet Brett Butler as Sandy. Uh, if you don't, so this woman used to be on Grace Under Fire. You might not. You're kidding. That's the same woman? Yes. Oh, no. What has happened to her? Well, she always was kind of the hardcore drinker, smoker, and other things. Okay. Like, that I remember lots of stories Holy about shit. how troubled she was, and, like, there's a lot of miles on those tires. I can't believe that's her. And also, I, they're not doing a damn thing as far as makeup and hair to make her look. Sure. So they're, yeah, yeah like... Holy crap. Yeah. Am I wrong to think that the money in Matt's wallet is his copay or whatever that he got back? Hmm. Surely he's not paying cash. I don't know. But who rolls around with 400 bucks in their wallet? Yeah, that's the thing. Did, 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 Did Kevin give him that money? 
Because he was asking for Kevin money as he was getting shoved out the door and getting jostled. I mean, I guess it didn't. Yeah, like, do I buy does that? Kevin have four hundred bucks on him, uh, or give him part of the money? Like, I got two hundred, and you got. I don't 200 know. There's and... a time in my life where I was trying using cash as a budgeting system, where mm-hmm. it wasn't uncommon for me to roll around with a couple hundred bucks in my wallet. And I imagine if two of those people got together, and like older people yeah. tend to like, okay, like some of the some of the yeah, I can remember like. Old guys like open up their wallet and they have like hundreds of dollars, you know, hundred dollar bills. Yeah, and I don't know. Maybe it's like you and I think that's weird because we just don't have cash ever. But I don't know. Maybe a guy like Matt's age, he does do the the cash economy. I don't know. Maybe he probably gets a lot of cash donations from his church as well <laughs> that he doesn't so, own anymore. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Anyway, residual uh, cash. He wants five hundred dollars from her, and she agrees to help him with the money once he a verifies his preaching credentials. Which he does, admirably. He does. He's got answers to all the questions. And she's, I think, looking like he thought this was a test. Like, I'm only going to help a Baptist or whatever. But I think it's more like I want to see if these answers come out quick enough like a person that I would expect. You know, if you're a man of God, you would. Yeah. Whereas if you're stammering and stuttering and, oh, it's seminary, you know. like (laughs) Sure. If someone asked me to invent a seminary on the spot, I wouldn't know what to fucking say. Yeah. I don't know any. It would be something with a saint. Something with the holy... Brigham Young. I'm a Mormon, sure. <laughs> that's right. the only one I yeah. can think of, and I'm not even sure that's a seminary college. Uh, so anyway, the other condition is that he beats a grown man with a literal paddle as he says the word yeah. Brian. I don't if he does have that, he any have idea what this is about. And also they said, you're a man of God, so it will count. He's clearly needing to atone for some sin. Do you think so? Like, is but, this essentially Nora getting shot with a prostitute by a handgun? Except for we just don't know this guy's backstory. So I think seems, so. Like, imagine yeah. if you just saw in the background a woman with a a prostitute and she's all and dressed up like vest. a prostitute and bullet, and she just yeah. gets shot. And you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. But Nora, we understand exactly what's going on. I think that's what this is, and I, I think. I want to say at the end of this episode, this more than anything to do with his wife is what he's atoning for when he goes up on these stocks. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think he feels guilty about the stuff with his wife. I think it's more about this. Really? Why would he feel guilty about this? This is something, something he did out of desperation to get his wife back into town. But everyone wanted him to do it. Like literally everyone wanted him to do it. But he didn't know why he was doing it. He was so? just beating a man with an oar. It isn't that – I mean this guy needed – I don't know because I, I can't reconcile the ending of this episode with how he has to feel about his and wife. And I know he had to work it himself up to it and he felt like it was wrong. But I love like the disappointment in Reggie's, this guy's face. Yeah, yeah. Like when he gets that first half-hearted blow and he's just like – like he's shattered, like it. he's not even saying it, and like I've had better beatings from a three-year-old girl from Brett Butler. Yeah, and and, <laughs> and yeah, Brett Butler is saying, you know, she takes another shot at his wife, saying, "You want to go, honey? I bet you can do it better." And the whole mob, there's this like mob violence thing in the background, or everybody cheering, and I, mm-hmm. I don't know why he would feel bad about it, but I, but I don't know I what it means either. I yeah, I don't either. Why? Why? Uh, I do like Maybe his defiance at the end. Was that hard enough, or do I need another oar? When he just breaks the yeah, thing he's over the it. guy's back. Now give me my money. Uh, so he gets the the money, and now he's got 960 bucks, Or maybe it's 940 
He's Something. 40 or $60 short, and he goes back to Almer, and that essentially buys him a lantern, a pair of bolt cutters, and hey, here's a storm drain that if you walk a couple minutes will get you into Jarden. And so... I've been I I'm a spelunker. I've I've explored a lot of caves and I've spent the night in a few. And the one mm-hmm. thing that you're terrified as a, as a as a spelunker is being in a cave and uh a flash flood. Because that shit can get out of hand quick and drown your ass. That's the first thing I thought when he started walking into this. Me, when he went in and, and they started up with the rain, I'm like, "Oh my god, I'm going to yeah. watch this guy and his or it, 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 certainly his wife." Yeah. Who can't even speak is going to drown, and I'm and they're going to play the piano music, and I'm going to fucking die. Uh-huh. So once again, second time in the season. Thank you, Lindelof, for pulling the punch because I don't know, and especially every time the lightning flashed, you could see the water get higher and more intense. Yeah, I was just like, ha ah, ah. ha. <laughs> um, he's struggling with the gate. And yeah, the yeah. Cutters on there. Yeah. But he didn't. No one drowned. They just got oh. wet. And there's just some scenes, you know, some Joe Blake scenes of him getting chased from people taking shelter under people's camper. I don't know why people are such assholes in this camp. I don't know why you're that worried about rain. Is it cold out, too? Like, aren't there some good people, like genuinely good people in this camp that are trying to get a little bit of the God mojo? I would assume so, yeah. It seems like it's all a bunch of nihilist, hedonist assholes. Well, they're probably used to those people abusing their stuff. That's true. Even if they are nice people. Like, like you know, John says, it's a dog-eat-dog world outside yeah. the, the you know, miracle. You're a product of your environment to a degree. Uh, and then a great scene, Nora finds him literally just as the rain ends. Yeah. And, this, you know, it's, it's a beautiful scene. And her and Kevin smuggle Matt and Mary in their trunks. And I thought it was interesting how the actress who plays Mary, I thought was playing her a bit more attentive. Like when they're face to face, like it looked like she was genuinely looking into his face, like a loving wife would. At when the husband's telling a sweet story in a kind of you know dire slash romantic circumstance. Did you get that? I thought she did a great job with all this action of not doing a damn thing. <laughs> it's got to be difficult. It's like one of those things, like you know, if you go to the Lincoln Memorial, he always looks like he's looking at you because of the way the eyes are carved. Yeah, and you want. To perceive, but I thought I saw where it. she was giving like ten percent more. Sure, which sure. I thought was you know a little bit for us and a little bit to kind of show what Matt goes through, like where you're always trying to read stuff into it. Yeah. Um. But then he starts uh, he starts quoting Yates to her, and there's a cute story about that. And you know, it's a story about a man who goes off to find his love and and how perfect things will be when he finds her. Which can I just say how creepy all of this came across after the rape stuff. Like, I don't know if I can ever feel good about Matt and Mary's relationship until she wakes up. Dude, we're point. never going to get in. We're never I don't think going she's to gonna get wake a straight up. answer about whether she wakes, she woke sure. up or not. I'm with you. So which get, which get is to say. To that d- dissonance. <laughs> yes. I don't know that I can feel good about it. I really don't. The entire time I'm thinking, well, Man, he was also a little bit. I know he loves her, but what is she feeling? What is she? What is happening to her at the moment? Yeah, I don't persist a vegetative state. I don't. You know, the other thing is, um, I just read a story about a man who was in a similar coma that they didn't think he was responsive, and like the hospital administrators would just leave him for like with a Cartoon Network or like a Nickelodeon on, and like he he said one of the things that got him out of his veg is this. The anger 
at having sit there and listening to three hours of Barney a day. <laughs> he actually cited that as like that's one of the things that got him to communicate. And um, I don't know that the first thing he spoke up with said is "fuck you." Someone read me this off. Someone read me "Death the Smoochie." I want to watch it for twenty four hours straight. Yeah. Uh, so I don't if it. it do I understand is a persistent vegetative state is there's like no brain activity going on. Like you're, so that's you're unconscious. But yeah. if you are in like a – what the other thing is like you could be what they call locked in where you're aware of everything but yeah. you have no control over your body. You can't speak. You can't respond to external stimuli. Yes. Which that's the hell on earth situation. Sure. And those those are the things I'm wondering, right? What is she going yeah. through? Can she experience her reality at all? And if so – what does she think about all this? Sure. I would love to know. Good God. I that that's I mean, that's why I can't see this as the perfect loving relationship that I oh, saw it as before. Sure. You know? Uh, this has fundamentally altered my view of their relationship. Yeah, I'm hmm. I can't argue with you. I want to, <laughs> but I really can't. Uh I so, can see where it wouldn't, but for me it has. So there's an accident. And it's the goddamn goats. Man, how many fucking goats? This guy's got a truckload of goats that just got loose and... Maybe Jarden has a goat, like a feral goat problem, the way like Arkansas has a feral pig problem. Well, this guy running around town is clearly on a mission. When he's slaughtering goats, like I just assume some of his goats got loose because he's got to have a supply of goats. Sure. If you're slaughtering even a goat a day... But we don't again. Have we saw that guy goats. running around, by the way, and, and he was hustling. He was hustling with a goat on a leash. Yeah. He had an appointment to keep, and there wasn't going to be a lady in a news rack uh, <laughs> in the world that's going to keep him from his appointed round. Yep. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm I'm with child. I'm with I'm like Mary trying to find out what's going on with this goat deal. But I don't know if it's feral goats or whether this guy had a goat explosion or uh-huh. a. You know, a run on goats, what? But they got out, and this guy flipped over his car, and it's the same guy that stole Matt's wristband. Flash flood of goats sent him careening <laughs> into the ditch. That's the second most terrifying thing to a spelunker. Um, and I like how they did the slightest bit of hand-holding. Like, they did, like, a half-second flash of that guy in the I daylight. I didn't need it, but I didn't some need people it either, But I, like, a lesser show, I feel like, would have given you a 10, 15 second flashback of the, is that dialogue, but we didn't need it. And then a smash cut to the little boy huddled in the side of the road. And so Matt gets inspiration. He knows what he has to do. He says, uh, I'm going to trust Mary to you, Nora. And I love Nora's reaction. God damn it, Matt, seriously. Cause this is a dick move. This is a huge burden to place. on. This her. is a, this is a big ask. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, Matt goes after because again Kevin's like wait wait what? Um, but Matt's already in motion. He goes and finds Kevin. He's already taken his clothes off. <laughs> now, not quite. I'm not clear on how he actually found John. And where like did he walk there? Did he was John going responding to the accident? I guess that would make sense because you know a lot of firefighters are also do double time as EMTs. Yeah, I think he's headed out. He's headed out of town, obviously. So he's kind of on the road out of town, I guess. But why was he going out of town? Like, why would he be going out of town in the middle of the night? Oh, John? I don't know. I can't explain why John was out here on the road or exactly. I, I And I couldn't even tell you whether this road is the same stretch that the goat accident happened on or whether Matt's walked a couple miles to see him or I, I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah. It doesn't really matter. 
but he finds John and defiantly testifies before him about his wife and his experience. And he says, she'll wake up soon. And when she does, you and I will have a talk, which I at first was thought was a threat. But at second, it's like, once you see that this place is special, I'm going to come back and do like a guilty remnant recruiting job on you. I'm going to try to make you understand. That's how I took it, the, the subsequent viewings. How do you take that? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I just don't know that it's going to do any good. Like, if I'm John, I'm thinking, okay, your wife clearly came out of a coma, but why? Is it because she lives in this town, or is it because she just came out of her coma? You know, I never thought Kevin would open up until he did. Yeah. Uh, so it's hard to say. I can just see that being John's outlook on it. So Someone that hardened against this idea of miracles and miracle would not go quietly into the night, you know? Uh, so then he says this boy needs help. His father is dead, and I had the waterworks start because they got this fucking Regina Spector song. <laughs> That I found, uh, I never, I've, I'm a fairly big fan of Regina Spector, and I never heard this song. And just, yeah. you know, her style of singing and the lyrics against what Matt was doing, and him going up saying, "I'm ready to free this man because it's my turn," and yay for non-sexualized nudity, and him getting up there in those stocks. It just, it, it was, it was a lot, a lot, a lot of feels. A lot of big Doctor Who fans cheering right now. I'm sure. Yep. Yep. The, uh, uh, of the female and or gay persuasions. Uh, I, sure. It's it's interesting. I feel like this, this was this is Lindelof getting up in the stocks to atone for Game of Thrones. Like, the right. second, like, I didn't even get how much tits were on display in the Jarden Festival weird thing yeah, going yeah. on. Because it was just so matter of fact. And, you know, it's like it wasn't they weren't drawing attention to it. It's like they're in various states of distress or, or uh, dis, disrobing. Undress, and, yeah. And undress, and they were dirty, and it's just like kind of like background hippie festival stuff, and very matter of fact. Sure. Yeah, and same thing with with uh, Matt. He's a naked man, and he's totally exposed up there. I was wondering if they would show it, like if they would show his nudity in all its glory. Yeah, and they did, and I'm I was kind of surprised by that, being yeah, sure. you know Christopher Eccleston being who he is. Yeah, no, I mean it's uh, a big big ask. Hey, Chris, bit, when you signed your contract, yeah. you didn't know you're going to, you know, what, what? what's the Doctor Who, like, the sonic screwdriver? <laughs> okay. The, the, so All right. Where are we Seppin going Wall, with this? No, Wall was, I guess, swapping emails with Lindelof, and Lindelof revealed that in production meetings, they referred to that scene as the sonic, the sonic spanner <laughs> scene or whatever the fuck it's called. Oh, no. Yeah. Like, yeah. how do you go up to Chris? And you're like, okay, before... But it, it, but you're gonna see some things in this script, Chris. Uh huh. I don't want you to freak out. Uh huh. We can talk about it. Like it, I can. We're I open can... to negotiation, but I really want you to do this. Right. I think it'd be great for the show. It'd be great for you as an actor. Sure. If you're not comfortable, we can always just not have the camera dip there. But it would be powerful for you to be completely <laughs> exposed up there, and for us to make sure. this point about this non-sexualized nudity that we've been trying this whole season. And look. Like, half a million people are going to see this. Yeah, at you know? most. At most. It's not like this is The Walking Dead. It's, it's not, not like it's Doctor good... Who, even. We're talking <laughs> half a million people. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. No. As you're reading the scene. <laughs> Why does he take this man's place? We've already talked about a little bit about this. So I just you're, can't believe that it's because the... of his wife. But if he... Okay. I, I agree, because he's a true believer. He doesn't feel like he raped his wife. And I feel it would undercut his true belief if he did. 
Although you could make an argument that subconsciously maybe he knows that he did his – like like John was saying essentially in his role as adversary. Um, Certainly I don't think he's perfectly comfortable with this idea of my wife woke up and we had sex. I think there's – there is room for doubt in his mind, but I don't think it's room to doubt – for doubt to the extent that he would get up here and do this. There's something else at play here and I'm not sure totally what it is. I don't know. Maybe he sees in these people, these lost souls outside in this camp, the same kind of thing he saw in the guilty remnant. He's found the new flock that needs him to shepherd. Um, And hopefully they'll be more receptive to it than than the guilty remnant. Is he going to be up there giving his sermon from the stocks? I don't know. I don't. I'm. I'm. I. Another thing I can't wait to see is what Nora thinks of all this. (laughs) Like you left us with. Mary for this Matt yeah you know what is Kevin going to jump up there is like is one of the big cathartic scenes going to be John taking his place like there's so many ways that, or oh man or what about John's son um Michael Michael yeah. I could see Michael pulling that I could see Michael's grandfather who you, you think is is the grandfather <laughs> I think so still uh, yeah I could there's so many the way I mean Goatman could get up there who the <laughs> fuck knows uh-huh. or maybe John Maybe Matt will uh, start a new thing where just everybody takes their five minutes a day and nobody throws shit because everybody's guilty and everybody needs to atone and repent. Maybe. I mean, who knows? There's so many ways this could go, all of them fairly satisfying. (sighs) What an episode. Can we talk about... Yeah, I'm blown away. Can we talk about the law of the 9,621? Oh, why not? Yeah. So there's some accountants on Reddit, Reddit that are... Keeping track of this. Two guys entered. Two people were stranded. Yeah. One guy went in, one guy left. Uh, and, and uh, you know, one boy entered and one man left. Mm-hmm. It feels like there is something to this law that if that however many come in, those many have to leave. How? Hmm. Because we know that the people that but moved. four came in with Nora and... Well, Isaac went out, didn't he? And we know that there were the the so the people that were living in that house before was two was a couple, right? Well, so Evie's the problem. Evie and her friends are the problem, then, right? Because like, if you want to say, okay, Evie and her f- two friends plus Isaac equal Nora, Kevin, Jill, and Lily, fine. Yeah. But what about the people who left before them from yeah. that house? So, like, yeah, there's a problem with that, but I guess I would say that that didn't happen under the rubric of the series. It's proper that happened before the series, so we don't know whether it got conserved or not. Sure, everything okay. that's happened on camera, there's been a perfect Evie and her three friends and Isaac, the four Garveys, yeah, or whatever you call the Garvey Nora, you know, that whatever you call whatever that, it that, is, yeah, that that, that modern leftovers family. Uh, we, with Matt and Mary and this this little fatherless fatherless boy, it's interesting that they seem like they're really keeping that that, that could be a thing or it, it could, could be. It seems like it is. They mentioned it multiple times. So yeah. Uh, anything else you want to t- talk about this series, the show, this episode? Not particularly. I mean, the, there's so much symbolism, but I'm sure we have a lot of that stuff in email too. Real quick, because Jim's hungry and we've been podcasting all damn day, like four hours. It's it, brutal if you like this podcast the only reason we're doing it the only reason we could possibly do uh this podcast with fargo on top of the walking dead is because we're doing this as full-time podcasters and the reason we're able to do that is because the generosity of you fine people 
with your support of our club at club.baldmove.com, which you can go and get all you know, see what all the features you, you can get, like ad-free feeds. You don't have to hear me talking about this and a bunch of cool bonus content we do. Or if you don't want to do all that mess, you can go to amazon.baldmove.com. It'll magically transport you to Amazon, and you don't have to pay anything extra. It's just a free, it's a free way if you're sh- if you're shopping with Amazon to to give us a little something something and and it's not nothing like people you might wonder like oh is this actually really helping Jim and Aaron we get a third of our funding from our Amazon affiliate stuff yeah so you you guys that are doing that it it really helps us out a lot um, and and every little bit helps whether it's big stuff small stuff um, we really appreciate it and and it's it's how we are able to produce our independent podcasts um, with us, the frequency that we do. So thanks for your support. And if you haven't uh, already go to club.baldmove.com and find out the benefits other than free podcasts that you can get by supporting us. Well, Hey, we got feedback uh, at, you can give us feedback at leftovers at baldmove.com or as, as always, you can go to forums.baldmove.com discuss it with our super smart fellow fans. Sean G says, I, so we got a little bit of, um, as we usually do previous episode feedback, Mm -hmm. Sean G says, I believe Patty's story about Neil's brown badge escapades proves that she is, in fact, a ghost guardian, a ghost slash guardian angel slash guardian, excuse me, slash guardian demon. One would suggest that Patty told Lori the story and Lori told Kevin. But my argument against that is not just because the doctor patient confidentiality, not just because Lori and Kevin didn't seem to be in a story sharing stage in their relationship during Patty's treatment, but because Patty mentions Neil's name twice during her story. Even if she told him the story, why would she use his name, let alone her patient's name? One might also say, "Wait, Kev- wait, wait!" But if she if she violated that trust and told him, I'm saying, why wouldn't she use his name? As in the context of a husband and wife telling a story from work, you wouldn't say, "Hey, you know that that client I've got, Patty? Well, she's got a husband, Neil, who takes a shit on her chest." You would say. I just had this crazy thing with the patient where her husband was shitting on a hooker's chests. It would be weird for her to use both of their proper names in that context. It's his argument. Mm, okay. Uh, Sean continues, one might say Kevin's a cop and maybe he'd come across Neil's name at some point, but I'd rather be mm-hmm. watching a show about a guy who's actually possessed than a show about a dude who cobbles together memories to project a ghost reminiscing on her husband's shit fidelity. Please discuss. You got we, we we discussed it. You're not convinced. I thought that's actually a pretty pretty big tell. I don't because I'm with I him. Like I don't buy that the, that uh, Lori and Kevin would be talking about names of patients, much less their husbands. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I don't think it's any more compelling than the argument about doctor-patient confidentiality. Hmm. All right. Well, there you go. You got you, you got one convert there, Sean. Nathan P says, I don't think I could deal with it at this point if Matt turns out to be crazy as well as Kevin, but the idea potentially raises two contrasting scenarios. Kevin, the man who appears sane but is actually crazy. Matt, who appears crazy but is actually sane. I really am hoping that Mary will wake up at some point, probably in the closing moments of the season, but <laughs> I guess that just makes me an idiot to keep my hopes high despite all the depressing shit that gets thrown at us. Maybe the season ends with her speaking to Nora, similar to the hope brought on by Lily. All I know is that Coma Mary lifelessly giving birth to a miscarriage is something I don't really need to see. <laughs> I'm with you there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, like, I never know where the line is. Like, the, ba- the show won't show a baby getting bit by a snake. 
won't show a coma patient drowning while her husband's sobbing. Will it do that? I mean, I mean, we saw the Lori we fetus saw rapture, a fairly graphic birth in that opening, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, squat and snatch and grab. Yeah, that's, that's that's pretty graphic. Pretty intense. It's you know, snatch and grab. I guess that's what you call it. I, I guess I'll just say, if that's what they want to show, I don't think they'll shy away from it. Hmm. No, I, I agree. And it would <laughs> it would be as bad as you think it's going to be. They don't pull punches because they feel they need to pull punches. They do it just because they feel like we don't need to do this. Yeah, yeah. Um, So that's not really, not really something you can hang a hat full of hope on. Uh, I don't know if it adds any nuance to this, but is there anything to the idea that maybe Matt, after realizing that he had raped his wife, has made up this story about her? Sure. No, psychotic break. Waking up. Yeah. yeah. Remaking remaking reality. Yeah. No. Totally. I could. That would be depressing, but believable, plausible. Okay. <laughs> uh, Barry C., I've always loved the fact that the great questions will remain unanswered in this show, but do you feel like that we need some re- resolution with Matt's story? Either his wife waking up again proving he is the hero we think he is, or a bleak admittance that it never happened. I feel like this must be answered. What do you think? Not I've already given my really, opinion. Honestly. I don't think this is an answer that we have to get. I feel like that I... I mean, I could change my mind, but I could I could see them pussyfooting around this for a long time and me not getting tired of it. As long as Matt remains compelling and the tension between him and his sister and Kevin and John remains so good. Yeah, I think as long as this is something that's used to propel the rest of the plot forward for him, I don't know that I need it to have a resolution so much. Yeah, so... Like, he can continue to believe what he wants to believe, but things are going to happen to him, you know? Like, I don't I don't know that he needs to change his mind or prove to everyone else that this is real or not real. The only thing that I can say that is a little bit of evidence, this is all meta, uh, meta evidence, is that the actress that plays um, Mary, Janelle Malo- Moloney, okay. is an actress of some... Renown. It would be odd to cast her in a role, and I, it, odd for her to accept the role where she gets the bittest, little bittest of flashback where she can be a genuine person, and the rest she just stares and blinks and fidgets her hands. So mm-hmm. one, either she, her visions with Matt are going to be a lot more involved going forward. Now that's not saying they'll actually give us a straight answer about whether it's real or not. Yeah. But it would be strange for her to never develop beyond this. Just, And that's a very meta reason, but yeah, it's yeah. a pretty good reason. Okay. Uh, that that you would have to give her something compelling to do, or why the hell would she be doing this? The paycheck can't be that great. Uh, he continues, this show could go on for years and years, and even if a few characters got killed off, we have four or five great characters who could carry the show for a long time. I agree. I think this... I remember thinking that there's no way this show could go beyond two at most three years, but the way they've deftly navigated from the Mapleton to the Jarden and how compelling that's been, like I mm-hmm. maybe Lindelof and Parada will get tired of the story, but I don't think that the story itself has any kind of natural limitations on when it will stop be fascinating. Yeah, at the same time, I don't want them to go too far. No, I don't. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I want them to ride this in the ground. I'm just saying that the show's lease on life is essentially however long that Lindelof and, and Parada can keep yeah, this yeah. fresh 
and HBO can keep paying for it. Sure. So, Ryan M. said, I thought it was interesting that the asshole who stole Matt's wristbands looks like he was done in by the goat somehow. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, Jesus talks about uh, what many Christians interpret to be the final judgment. Supposedly, after Jesus returns and makes things awesome for Christians and shitty for non-Christians, God is going to line up every human soul from all creation and put the good ones on his right hand and the bad ones on his left. Jesus called the good ones, help me out here, Jim. Sheep. And he calls the bad ones goats. Yes. <laughs> the sheep get eternal life or the goats get eternal damnation. It's interesting enough when you think about all the Christian eschatology that's been ramping up in this season with the 666 references, Jarden is Babylon, etc. But the kicker comes when you look specifically at what God is saying in this passage. God is happy with the sheep and he tells them, for I was hungry and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger. You took me in. I had to shit. You gave me a toilet. No, that's not in there. Oh. I was naked. Okay. And, and, I, and, me, and yeah. I had my sonic screwdriver out and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison. You came to me. Doesn't that sound exactly like what Matt is doing in this episode? He's taking care of his wife in every way. He decided to stop for the asshole that was pretending to have car trouble to help. Matt looks like the cho- chances of eternal life are looking up. Or looks like Matt's chances of eternal life are looking up. Meanwhile, God has something interesting to say for the goats. Depart from me, you cursed, and to the eternal fire which is prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you didn't give me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you didn't take me in. Naked, and you put me in stocks. You assholes. Sick and in prison, you didn't visit me. The sneaky asshole did the exo- opposite of what God wanted and got offed by a literal flock of goats. Mm. Yeah. So nasty goats. Whether you're comfortable or not with Matt and his relationship with his wife, that is kind of from a biblical perspective. He does look like he's on the side of angels, side of the sheep. Yeah, he's certainly making an effort to do things to live by his his creeds. Not very wooly for a sheep, I gotta say. No, no, he's not. Nearly dolphin smooth. <laughs> uh, nearly. Uh-huh. <laughs> Danny from Manchester. Wow. I can't think of another show from the golden age to ask us to ask ourselves so many profound questions about morality, society, and our philosophy in life. What other show would take a character that is one of the everybody's favorites and ask us to still like him, even though logically we know he possibly raped his comatose wife? Even if he was sad, lonely, and confused, this is a deep moral question to ask the audience. Mm-hmm. After looking at the forums and et cetera, I was wondering something. Do you think that the people watching the show who believe in supernatural things are actual? Are, are actual? Huh. Do you think that people watching the show who believe that supernatural things are actually supernatural occurrences tend to be the people who are more open to that in real life? And do the skeptic atheists like myself always go on the side of logical thinking and how this could really happen? Oh, I know yeah. it's fictional, and I see how it could be either, and enjoy the debate. But it's funny how I always tip my hat or my side towards the real life beliefs. Sure. I think, I, yeah, you whatever baggage you have in life, you take into the show. Mm-hmm. I don't see how you couldn't, frankly. Yeah. Like, yeah, open to possibilities, but at the same time... And, and you know, it's a fictional world, so literally anything can happen. Uh, I just don't know how you would yeah, divorce thing, yourself like, from that initial reaction. I feel like I'm a little bit squishier than you when it comes to, uh, you know, spirituality. But certainly not that... Uh, but I still I'm very open to supernatural things happening on this show. But I think it's mostly because it's a show. Yeah. And like if this show came out and like and like the Lamb of Hosts came down literally on a cloud, you know, with the four horsemen, 
I it would not shake my worldview. Like, yes, in a television yeah. show, God is real, and he came down, he saved everybody, and he raptured 2%, so... That has no bearing on reality. Right, right. There's not a one ring that got melted in a volcano either. It's, 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 it's you know, so I don't know. I mean, maybe... I don't know. Like, it's, 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 it's... I hate making generalizations because they tend to be self-serving and yeah, yeah. inaccurate. Well, that's exactly his his point, right? Yeah. Like any kind of judgment you're making on anything is influenced by who you are and yeah, what you think. Your, your own biases, and it's impossible to fully get si- outside yourself and see all those and lay them bare. So I don't know. Uh, he also has a PS. I was feeling as though Patty's voice was slightly different this season, having recently rewatched the first, and I've realized it's that because she seems to have adopted the dog killer Dean's accent and voice pattern. It's really uncanny once you realize it. I'm just wondering why they would do that. Hinting that he actually wasn't real like Patty is all I can think of. Um, I don't know that I agree with that because I I haven't rewatched the first season and and had that direct comparison. But I'm pretty convinced that Dean was real. I'm or 100% if he's, convinced. If he's not real, I'm really mad at, at Lindelof for doing things like having him talk with Jill that would contradict him being a ghost or being a figment of his imagination. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Like that would break some of the laws of the show in a way that I wouldn't like. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Might, uh, might just be you there. Uh, Tomica says, I think I've been lied to with this show. It's not about the departure. It's about how humans would react after such crazy and unexplainable tragedy, or at least that's what we've been told. What drew me in the show is the great world building. And they're doing that again in season two. But season two has me realizing that if it's truly a show about people dealing with loss, how come our main characters haven't lost anyone in the departure? How come season two takes place in a whole town that didn't experience loss? I think the best way to describe what I think the true theme of the show is, is the scene in season one when Matt is on his Bring the Members of the Guilty Remnant Back to Life campaign, and he's passing out flyers about Meg. He publicly calls out the reason she joined the Guilty Remnant is most likely because her mother died a day before the departure, Therefore, her pain and grief were hijacked. I think this show might not be about people who lost someone in a tragedy, but all about hijacked pain. We as humans in the modern world would usually go through a grieving process where we lose a loved one, you have a funeral, memorial service where a group of people grieve together to get their closure and begin healing. There's a few characters that have had this process interrupted by the departure. Meg being the obvious. Then you have Matt. We saw the scene where Mary got injured during the departure and literally no one could give a shit or could help him because people just saw this supernatural event occur. What support system does he have for his grief? His sister's the only family member he has and she just lost her whole family and would be unable to give him the comfort he needed after such a loss. Uh, speaking of Nora, our only main character who actually lost her entire family in the departure got notably more irrational and crazy once Matt hijacked her pain by letting her know her husband was no saint and forever ruining any happy memories she had about her lost loved one. Kevin, in a minor way, I think, has some hijacked pain regarding his marriage. I think it honestly bothers him that he didn't play a role in Lori leaving him. He cheated on her, but a supernatural event is what made him lose his wife. Life is filled with us doing shit that is wrong and then suffering consequences. This flow of what is normal has been severely interrupted. Then we have the town of Miracle. Right now, my theory on John Murphy is that he might be a lot more similar to Matt and not even realize it. But instead of passing out flyers, he burns people's houses down. 
I think something bad might have happened in his town, something that caused him to go to prison. He goes away with hatred in his heart about something that went down in this place, and then he returns to the spared 9,000. Maybe he has some pain that was hijacked because he does have hatred for this place, and he can't stand returning to it and being dubbed the place of miracles where the community is all brought together in the belief that they are united and special. There are no miracles in Miracle, and burning down houses is his way of reminding people he hasn't forgotten the shit that went down pre-departure. What do you make of this theory, that this isn't about loss or grief, but more about grief interrupted? Uh, So, I agree with basically all of what he said, except for that core premise. I I don't know that this show is specifically about dealing with the pain of the people who lost someone in that event. I think it's dealing with the pain that everyone feels around this event. And part of that is going to manifest as Meg having feeling cheated that, you know, her mom or whatever died the day before her Mm -hmm. uh, whatever. Uh, Because, I mean, you're obviously ignoring in that statement Nora, Mm -hmm. who lost her entire fucking family in that departure. That that's the pain she's dealing with. Uh, I, I think it's it's about this event and the pain that everyone feels across the board. It's not about like. You know, a specific type of pain. That is a, a potentially poignant one, though. Sure, it's it's definitely an interesting angle. Yeah. Um, so I thought it was interesting, and I'm not so sure that she's wrong. And the thing he says about Kevin, you know, feeling <laughs> guilty about cheating, and the fact that he kind of never got caught for that. I believe this is a he, woman, but yeah. Or sorry, she. Uh, and and you know he. He feels like he should have been. Mm-hmm. And if that if the marriage was going to break up, yeah, that's why it should have broken up, not this crazy event thing that happened. But, yeah, I think it's more about that, just mm. pain in general around this event, not specific type of it. All right. Uh, hey, Fraz writes in and says, Hey, guys, please help me settle an argument my coworker and I have been having. I'd love to hear your take on this, even though I know you'll side with me, of course. He has faith in us, Jim. We love discussing the leftovers and agree on most everything, but then she attacked my man, Kevin Garvey. Her complaint about the show this season is that Kevin, as a former chief of police, is acting way too out of character. That his shifty behavior in front of John is way too far on the I'm crazy and I'm trying to hide it side. She said that last season, he went through the same amount of batshit craziness but always kept a cool demeanor. Therefore, she can't believe that this season's Kevin was slightly unhinged and his slightly unhinged performance. On the other hand... Uh, I, on the other hand, find Kevin to be spot on. He went through a lot last season, and he's just trying to hold on to what he can of reality. He has a new life and girlfriend, a dead healing hugger, fugitive's baby, a teenage daughter, and last but not least, an awesome blackout-inducing mental disorder. I think his frailty is on point. I have an opinion on this. Jim, what's yours? Uh, I'm with the emailer here, I think. Uh, Kevin has experienced a lot of shit. And the fact that his dad has a bona fide mental condition or... Or authentic yeah. spirit, supernatural or, occurrence. Yeah, okay, one of the two has him a little worried about himself. And sure. so I, I feel like his... I think his performance has been good. I, I, don't, I don't know that I have an expectation of how this guy would react in this situation. But there are things that lend itself to being a little unhinged. I think that this has already been addressed in the universe when Jill said he was a chief of police and he was a single dad and he was holding things together by his fingernails because he had to. 
now he's no longer the chief of police and he can share the load with you. And like, I'm kind of like, you know, I, I, as Jill, I'm kind of fine. And now he can kind of lose his shit a little bit. So <laughs> even if you just take it from a, that angle, he's a I more agree relaxed. With, yeah. I agree with you. And, uh, and, and Hey, Fran, Fraz here. But I also think that Jill's spot on too, that, you know, he was responsible for an entire community. So yeah, you got to keep your shit together. Like Matt said, like, look, I understand you're losing your shit, mom, but we got a bunch of people that are going crazy back at your house. Can you keep it together just a little bit? Uh, and that's what Kevin was embodying the whole time. Like my wife went off and joined the crazy convent and I've got this teenage daughter and my, my son is joining another cult and I got this teenage daughter who is destroying herself academically and gotten into God knows what their friends I have to maintain. So, yeah. And I, I don't know exactly what scene your friend is talking about, but like if you wake up in a river with a cinder block tied to your ankle, you have no idea what happened and you're, and this neighbor pulls up and says, get in the truck. You're going to act a little weird. That's going to shake you up a little bit. Even him just kind of like spacing out in, in John's living room when we talked about. Yeah. I, I mean, I can see where you, you would think that. Getting but I, hallucinations. I, I and... think there's plenty of in-universe explanations for why, even if you posit that he's slipping this season, mm-hmm. there's good reasons for it. Okay. Uh, Frano said, there's been a lot of depressing events in The Leftovers, but this one is right near the top. I think Matt naming Job as his favorite book of the Bible is very significant in the episode, considering that by the end he loses everything due to his faith, just like Job. Whether it was the $940, the ability to live with his wife, his dignity... And freedom on his return trip to the Jarden chapter of Burning Man. It all could have been avoided if he had renounced his faith in the miracle of Mary waking up. At the end, he has passed his fa- uh, test of faith, but lost everything in the process. This show may lose me someday, but today is not that day. <laughs> all right, that's enough Aragorning for one day. Uh, so, in the biblical story of Job, mm-hmm. another piece of evidence maybe we'll see his wife jumping around and. and uh, there's a funny Reddit uh, image macro of Michigan J Frog. Okay, yeah. Have you see, did you see that one? No. Well, you know the Michigan J Frog is he? he Hello, my baby. Yeah. But only when one guy's looking at him, and as soon as he's like, "Look at this amazing frog!" The frog's just sitting there like a frog. Ah, okay. Uh, the she's that ver- he's she's Matt Jameson's Michigan J Mary J Frog. Put a camera on her, and she's yes, completely yes. still. Yeah. Um, but in the biblical story of Job, after he passes his test he's rewarded tenfold yeah. like what's this is always he a gets weird, all his goats back it's always weird but yeah he gets his house he gets 10 more houses he gets 10 times as many livestock disturbingly children. <laughs> he gets 10 more times more children uh-huh. more beautiful than the ones he had like that makes it okay yeah what the fuck is wrong with you yahweh jesus uh-huh you can do anything bring him back from the dead um but there is maybe a little something there that, that Matt will have a little reward for his, his test of patience. Maybe his wife will wake up. Or maybe he just gets kicked in the balls. He'll get ten new wives and they'll all wake up out of comas. Anthony says, The cold open of Matt going through the routine and taking care of Mary is very much like the cold open of last year's sixth episode that shows Nora going through the routine of buying groceries for her departed family. Huh. It's so interesting how these two montages show the helplessness and desperation of these two siblings as they deal with their respective fates. Nora, the helpless and desperate one to have her family back, she clings to the routines that may have des- to, that may desperately try to bring them back to her. This includes leaving everything in the house left by her family intact. Even the last paper towel she tears to clean up the mess her kids make is the only grocery she leaves unstocked. 
Similarly with Matt, as he desperately clings to the same routines he performed for his wife, the one day she, uh, which may possibly recreate that three-hour window of her consciousness. I just love how these two struggles are portrayed and the beautiful examples of the poetry this series delivers. I didn't think of it in terms of that way, but the brother and sister duality is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You want to nope. shy steamroll on? Yeah. Last on. one. Okay. Jim, J.J. Johnson, too many J's, more J's than the law allows. <laughs> The Villigan taught us years ago that having coincidence help a character is lazy writing. This week, finding the man who stole the wrist bracelet dead in the car crash was a very fortunate, highly unlikely a coincidence. Most of the show is strong, but that part wasn't. Jim? Okay. You know, I feel like I have to recuse myself as the patron saint of the, you know, uh, of the airline crash and the fishnado. What do you say about the coincidences on the show? So I have said, I think in the past, that I am okay with those types of coincidences if they have some kind, if I could tell that they're taking some kind of poetic license here. Um, I think, like, specifically maybe in the Color Purple podcast we did about the ending of that movie um, and how kind of we were like, oh, does can these like people hear each other? Yeah. Like, what's what going hell? on here? Why do they all come together? Artistic license. Yeah, you're 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 doing something for the sake of of making a thematic point. And I mm. think I'm, I'm usually okay with that, but I can see totally why people be like, Oh, fuck this, you know, a pack of goats and he runs into the same guy. And I may have felt a twinge of that while I was watching it, but I, I quickly got over it. Yeah. I mean, I guess like if breaking bad or Fargo was like a touched by an angel show, I would be more inclined to believe in cosmic justice coming back yeah. and you know doing weird things and acts of God being a part of dramatic element. And that's why when I see a show that seems like it's based entirely in rational, explained scientific behavior, I like when they throw a curveball at me. I'm like, wait, what the f- – wait a second. Mm-hmm. Everything else has followed logically consequences to actions, and this just seems like a bit much. The Leftovers completely shortcuts that for me because, yeah. maybe, hey, maybe God is real. Maybe there is a rapture. Maybe people are telepaths. Maybe you've got angels and demons. Maybe you've got visions and yeah. foretelling of prophecy and reading people's minds and pre- predicting the future. Or maybe not. Like, I still, every time I'm done after I come down off my Leftovers high, I think, how is this show getting away with this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Standing on, straddling the fence. Like, how? Uh-huh. How can it, and how long can it keep going? But by God, they, they keep doing it, man. Now, I I will say, I felt kind of the same thing about Lost as I was watching it. Like, all oh, these questions, you know? They're, I hope they don't go the same route, and I don't think they will, because I think Lindelof has learned a lot. Um, well, and also not trying to do 24 stories worth of yeah episodes yeah, with a story in a single season. Execution's a lot easier on that. I, but that's always kind of in the back of my mind. Like maybe I'm I'm I've got a fool's errand going here, hoping that this will have some satisfying conclusion in any way. Hmm. But it I don't know. It's not the same thing. I'm not desperately wanting to know the answers to these questions. I'm more marveling at the line that they're walking huh. between logical reality and some supernatural kind of things. Yeah. I, I agree. And I, I, maybe it's enough for them just to say, look, look, we're not going to give you answers. There is no overall yeah. point. You know, we're telling the stories about these characters and we're going to sat. If you want to accuse us of not satisfying the dramatic 
nature of these people's relationships and a realistic way they react to each other's craziness, then fine, you can accuse us of that. But don't ever say, oh, your Australian shit didn't pay a lot or the dog catcher might or where happened to the bagel or like. like That's where I, I wonder if they're getting themselves into trouble. Like those kind of more, uh, I don't know, the hints that they're doing towards other stuff that isn't directly related to the plot we're seeing and the characters. Do you think they can turn the corner on that where that's part of the show's charm? Like, like for example, mean? Star Trek mm-hmm. was famous for its Treknobabble. Yeah. Where it's like kind of sort of right-sounding science that really didn't hold together. And after so many episodes, it's kind of like you have a little chuckle to yourself. Like, oh, look at this. Mm-hmm. Jordy's going to talk about flipping the inverter ring sure. on the warp drive, and now they're going to capture a space ghost. Uh-huh. Uh, they're going to change the polarity of their phasers, and it's going to make frappe or something. You know, <laughs> uh, I wonder if they can get to where like these coincidences and like whether it's spiritual. It's like you you start to smile and like oh they're doing it again, rather than wanting to tear your hair out. Like it becomes part of the show's charm. If if the central part, which is the Noras yeah. and Matts and Kevins and Johns and Jills, continue to be super compelling and well done. I may, sure, maybe. I don't know if yeah. you can, that's the thing. Like, I don't know if you can have one without the other. Like, mm-hmm. essentially, if you keep piling this up, it's going to be silly and a self-referential parody, and that will take away the inherent dignity of the characters, which is the sh- what the show is really trading on. Don't want to jump the shark. No. But I, I like, again, I, this is the wrong time to ask me that question because I'm riding this wave high. <laughs> yeah, me this too. This biblical flood from Australia, I am, I'm riding it high. I, I can't imagine a better season of television than the first four episodes they've done here. Yeah, and it's like... I, I can't imagine it. Also, I'm, I'm not even, like, last year I remember equivocating the whole time. Like, well, we got to see where this pays off. Yes. We gotta, I'm just like, I've thrown caution to the fucking wind. Which scares me a bit because mm-hmm. if I throw that mindset back on, I'm like, what if what if the last two episodes, the wheels come off? Will it's I feel robbed? Like, will this stuff turn like, you know, the ash in my mouth? I don't – will it seem like fool's yeah. gold or missed opportunities? I, but I, I don't know. I, I just – I don't even want to entertain that possibility right now. Have to wait and see. Uh, that's all we got. If you'd like to send more, it's the leftovers. I'm sorry, not the leftovers. I always want to do that. It's just – leftovers at baldmove.com uh, you can also send us an e- uh, a forum post to forums.baldmove.com and also all those links are in our show notes every week so if you want to know what email to send it to just click through on your pod trapper or go pod to baldmove.com trapper. on your trapper keeper on your open, trapper keeper open that up get your ipad out of it <laughs> sure sure and go to baldmove.com it's, like, it's, it's like one of those things that the ghostbusters use you step on it and it just sucks in all the podcast right yeah and yeah. you empty into your containment unit which is a presumably your brain just don't cross the streams don't ever cross the streams all right well we'll be back uh next tuesday with another episode hopefully it's even nearly as good as this one because i'll be thrilled uh till then i'm jim i'm aaron see you